Hey Horror Fiends, it's Tim Levin here from the UK. I'm delighted to be an author guest at Horror on Main. Really hope you can join us there. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be scary. There's going to be lots of books for sale. Oh, it's going to be glorious. So I hope, really hope to see you there. I'm looking forward to it so much. Be scary. Keep reading. Be safe. Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. We've been going to conventions for over 20 years and are changing up the little things to make the big picture amazing. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See horroronmain.com for details. David Scott, what's going on, man? <laughs> Hello, everyone. Really Hello. appreciate you uh, being so cool with changing the dates from last week. Oh, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was going to say that was on me, but then you said shut up, and now I'm nervous. <laughs> no. I would never throw you under the bus unless it's I do Improvise, thing. adapt, overcome. <laughs> exactly. Candace, how are you? I am good, sir. How about you? Congratulations on your Splatterpunk Award. Thank you. If you would be so kind as to send me a photograph of you with your trophy. Oh, oh one of these days. Sure. Uh, because I collect them. Oh, That's okay. awesome. Because I'm kind of indirectly responsible for this, this crazy <laughs> award. Just a I little bit. I've never met Candace before. I've seen you guys in action. You other two. That's amazing. But but I don't know. Where did you come from, Candace? Tell me about yourself. Where did I come yeah. from? I have no idea. Um, I'm adopted. So uh, I so really am I. don't know. <laughs> Me too. Um, I am up here in Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, published my first novel in 2019. Didn't have a clue what I was doing. Uh, got a mentor shortly after that who helped me immensely on all the ins and outs and showed me what I did wrong. And I relaunched it that next year followed up with another one because apparently people liked it. And then I started my website because nobody knew me. I didn't know anyone and I didn't know how to get my name out there with no connections other than, okay, I need to start becoming relevant to the industry itself. So I started a review website and started reaching out to folks and Started making a name for myself there, and my website's doing pretty well now. And I've got four novels out, and a bunch of short stories, and some anthem invites, a couple words under my belt now. <laughs> Here we are. So you feel encouraged to keep doing this, basically? Um, I'm addicted, <laughs> and honestly, it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do in life since I was maybe four or five. It's always been the only thing I've ever wanted to do. I don't see myself stopping anytime soon, whether I make a success of it or not, whether I get a lot of money from it or not, get uber famous or something. Right. I do it because I love to write and I'm loving every part of the industry right now and everybody that I've met, every one that I have worked with. It's just been amazing. So... Yeah, I think I'm in it for the long haul. So, I, I love it when people give you these sort of career questions on things, and the and the simple answer is, why do you assume I had a choice? Well, yes, I do. 
That is one way to word it. Patrick, go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt you, man. No, no, <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt David Scott. All right, stop saying that. I'm not going to interrupt John Skip. <laughs> <laughs> I'll interrupt Skip. Yeah. We are nominated for a first award. It is for nonfiction podcast of the year. We are up against some pretty cool competition, one being the King Cast. And uh, all you got to do is go to thisishard.co.uk slash awards. They will tell you the easy guidelines, how to do your voting today. Please vote for us or another show if you want, or us. Uh, my name is Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host Brennan LaFaro. So hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And I'm joined by, well, we're joined by a amazing guest host. Her name is Candice Nola. Say hello, Candice. Hello, Candice. And today we are joined by the legendary, I hope you are okay with that, because Edward Lee doesn't like that. Yeah, he's not like that either. Today we're joined by the very modest man, David J. Scow. Say hello, David. The notorious. The notorious David notorious. J. Scow. The infamous is good too. Hello, everyone. What got you in the horror, sir? I don't know. I don't understand the question. Uh, what what intrigued you with <laughs> with the Ooh. dreadful? That's you... like saying that's like saying what got you into sex. That's a fucking good. That's that's it. We're done. Good night. If, you know, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's 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 like it's it's there. What's not to love? It feels good. Both. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> if if you're a pussy, you say, oh, it's romance and adventure. Yeah. If you're not, you say sex and violence. It's the only thing fiction's about, right? Sex, violence, conflict, the search for the father, the search for the mother, you know, if you want to get deep about it. But once upon a time, somebody asked McCammon that question. And it, they said, why horror, basically? And uh, he said, because... And I can't do better than this quote. He said, because I think horror is the fundamental literature of humanity. That's fair. Horror stories outrank story stories because they have risk and conflict at the center of them. Why would you not want to do that? You three other people on this podcast right here all identify as horror writers, correct? Mm -hmm. There must be something cool going on about it. And I've been stuck with it for a long time. Remember when I was sitting here asking everybody what they did for a living? Writing, uh, not exclusively horror, but writing, writing is uh, the only way that I have ever made a living. Wow. And so there must be something to support the horrific aspect of that if I got this far, because as you can see, I am an incredibly old. So... Why not horror is my answer to question to that. It's the best it's the best that there is. Beat horror with something. It's like saying why romance. But we don't yeah. say why romance because we say why sex. See, because of the other rule that I said earlier. I'm gonna start asking on season four. What got you into sex? Yeah, <laughs> go I'm gonna well. lose that every guess. So well. Yeah. <laughs> Candace, please jump in. Sicko. 
<laughs> jump into what exactly? It, who the fuck yeah, knows? This is a season finale, baby. It can be about this anything is, you want. This is like someplace we really didn't want to go with this show, but okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So we haven't stopped yeah. anyone yet, and I don't plan on it today. That train is that an adequate answer to your question? Do you think? That's the best answer I've ever got. Take that skip. <laughs> I don't know why we keep bringing him up, but <laughs> he's out there. He's probably he's probably listening. If you had the other two on, Skip uh, Craig Specter got a yes, and then uh, I haven't heard from him. So <laughs> that was last year. Well, he's in he's in your time zone. So is he in New York? He's in Virginia. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I'll try again. And, and and Matheson is, you know, out in Malibu somewhere. Yes, I did get a yes from him. He he seems like a pretty nice guy. Love his dad. Yeah, okay, so that killed the room. Um, Candace, watch you say anything. <laughs> Dead air is death. <laughs> yeah. Say anything. Okay, uh, let me see if I can get this back on track. I have no cards with questions. <laughs> You just gonna have to wing it. How do we? Yeah, I think I'm gonna wing it. So let's start with um, the one that's most relevant to me because why the hell not? Yeah, absolutely. So the father of Splatterpunk here, huh? Or 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 the Godfather or the, the grandfather, grandfather at this grandfather. rate? Grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Um, what does that term mean to you? If you had to explain it to someone who didn't understand what it meant. What does that mean to you, and how is it a different animal than extreme horror? Well, it doesn't mean anything to me personally, because all I did was come up with the descriptive. Okay. You know, I invented the descriptive for something that was going on already. Okay. And, and differentiating from extreme, extreme is one of our babies. Mm -hmm. uh, extreme is one of our offspring, just like Bizarro, just like Gonzo. Right. Uh, uh, all of these things uh, uh, came after because remember when you're doing this sort of thing uh, uh, in the beginning, you're not aware of uh, trying to have a movement or a section or anything like that. You're just grindstoning away and doing everything that you possibly can to get noticed right. as a writer. And that includes making noise. Well, when people turn their heads and look toward you because you made a noise, then you better do something worth their attention or they're going to, they're going to move on to the next freak tent, you know, right. on on the aisle or something. And that's like the 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 short encapsulation explanation of splatterpunk, which is a nice chunky word with a lot of consonants, you know, and 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 it sounds cool. And uh, we got we ripped off cyberpunk, you know, basically uh, because they were they were there first, but nobody was reading science fiction at the time, so it doesn't matter. Um, um, but it was, you know, it, it's, uh, a it's inten intentionally provocative mm -hmm. and, uh, it, uh, it never hurts to go in there and piss off the traditionalists every once in a while. Yeah. And it's like, I, I go into this at, at boring length in an afterword that I just rewrote, but here's another aspect of it. It's like, the pre-Raphaelites, the artists, named themselves. They came up with the name pre-Raphaelites because they didn't want some critics coming along later and giving them a name. Okay. The Impressionists 
named themselves after a shitty review of their work that that firebombed them. This is, this is terrible stuff. This isn't even painting. And the guy who wrote that review, the only reason he's remembered today is because his review was the source of the word impressionist, which these guys took as a, as a slur and put it on themselves as a badge. Yeah. And said, so that's what we are. Now, I'm in no way comparing myself to fine artists in our <laughs> pasts, but there is some shared DNA there. Mm any kind of artistic movement like that. And again, to have a movement, you have to have organization and we had no organization, mm -hmm. but it's just trying to get noticed. And then after the fact, you discover maybe somebody was actually out there reading what you wanted to write. And after the fact, people will say, well, this stuff doesn't have any staying power. They're just showing off. Splatterpunk was incredibly teenaged. That's why people like Charlie Grant got pissed off. Oh, it's so teenage, you know. Yes, it's very teenage. But here we are, Candace, here we are 32 years later, and it's still around. Yeah. That means that we had staying. Oh, hell, we've got trophies now. We've been assimilated. Mm -hmm. We've been assimilated, and so we have to wait for the next thing. Did Charles Grant come ever come? I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm wondering, did Charles Grant ever, because he was, I mean, maybe some listeners listening don't realize how big he was, but... He, he was a pretty big deal as an editor too, you know, ethologist. Um, did he come around to accept? Oh, Charlie him? was wonderful. Charlie was wonderful. Oh, that's good. Uh, many people were not. And Charlie, uh, 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 he, 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 he just, it's kind of like people talking about, you know, when, when they stick their head into your room and say, Hey, listen, can you turn that down? You know, uh, is, does it have to be so loud? You know, it's like, is there anything, is, is there anything to this other than you guys just, you know, being very, being very loud. And uh, once upon a time, I, uh, I, uh, back in, back in caveman days, I won a world fantasy award for a, uh, before Lovecraft got culturally canceled, I won a Lovecraft award when it looked like Lovecraft. And, uh, and, uh, uh, Charlie Grant came across the room and he grabbed my arm like this. And he says, I'm glad it was you. <laughs> wow. He That's was a pretty good guy. cool. He was a, That's pretty Charlie cool. Was a good, guy. good writer too. I, uh, I, uh, I submitted to all of the anthologies that Charlie edited like 30, 40, 50 times, never sold one story. <laughs> wow. You know? But, uh, that's one, that's one boat that I missed, but, uh, no, Charlie was uh, Charlie was terrific. So I guess you could say that he came around because everybody else that didn't like us, we just you know we had him killed. I tell I talk me and Brian talk about this because I'm I'm originally from Massachusetts, um, and I don't know if you're into the NBA, but like I'm not anymore. But growing up, uh, my dad was a huge Larry Bird fan. That's my favorite uh -huh. athlete, and. His coach, uh, well, it wasn't his coach, but Red Auerbach, um, he was, for people listening that don't know who he is, look him up. Uh, someone had, Bill Russell had asked him um, what he did to deal with people that were discriminating against uh, Red when he came to the area in the 
40s or 50s. I can't remember which decade because yeah. he's Jew. He, he's a Jewish man. And he he got criticized for that from people back then. And he just said, I outlived the bastards. Because yeah. when not, I'm sure you know, Dave, but when when Russell was uh, playing for the Celtics in the 60s, he was not favored by some people. He was discriminated against. And you got to remember the civil rights era. So he he wasn't allowed in certain restaurants, but this guy won. I think it was eight out of ten um, wow. ch- championships in the '60s. Yeah, I mean he he's a black man, but that's why he was discriminated against. But that's why he asked uh, Red, and I like that idea. Just do your thing, and eventually, because you know I'm sure you've seen him come and go. David Bryan's talked about it that you know you see certain people come into your playground. You know, uh, like me and Candace and Brennan, we're all friends and we have mutual friends. But you, you see some people that they might be doing some good things, but uh, they, there's something different about them. And there's some people that aren't one of us, but they kind of try to act like it. And eventually, if you wait long enough, you're going to outlive the bastards. <laughs> so well, this is there's another aspect of that. You bring up a very important point about this. There's another even more important aspect about that, which is the ability, the merit, you have to be able to do it. It's like, we are all surrounded right now, but people who want to divide us up into groups more than ever, you know? And as far as I'm concerned, aren't we all earthlings at this point? Yeah. And so if you get out there and let's say that you're making a a noise to attract attention to your work, that work has got to have merit. You've got to be able to do it. This is the one place where it has to be a meritocracy. You have to have the talent and you have to be able to bring it off. And, and people will know that if they read the stuff and they, and the receptors are tuned, they, they know it. That's the most important thing for me. It's any other kind of subdivision, any other kind of subdivision is cosmetic. It's, it's like it, you have to have the, the ability to do it. And then after that, the drive to do it is not bad. Yeah. Drive, yep. We'll agree. Brandon, you've been quiet, sir. Why don't you jump in? All right. I'm actually kind of curious. Yeah, no, definitely. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I I, kind of want to, I want to throw something silly at you. Um, You, you said that you coined the term splatterpunk and, you know, you kind of compared it to giving yourself that label before, you know, history could kind of deem you something else. So given the critical responses that I'm sure you've read, what do you think you would have been deemed if you didn't beat them to the punch? Well, we were almost blood punk. Not as not as catchy. That was one that went through the room, you know, and got sort of tabled on a, on a meeting. Uh, the only other name that was really seriously in the running uh, uh, based on uh, everybody else's reaction to us was those assholes. Um, <laughs> I've got um, that plenty of times. <laughs> because remember, I mean, remember, I mean, according to a lot of people, Splatterpunk came along and ruined horror for everybody. It's crazy. You know what I mean? That's in insane. fact. In fact, they tried to make a little horror government <laughs> to get rid of us, but uh, we're still here. The HWA? Uh, originally, yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of people who said, we're never going to... You'll notice we were never nominated for anything. <laughs> when the, when the HWA started out, we were never nominated for anything. Yeah, I mean, I'm no expert, but isn't that kind of still the trend? Yeah, well, it's like I'm in a lot of anthologies with Stoker award-winning authors, of which I am not a one. 
That's and, that's and fucked that, up, man. And that and that no 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 it's not it's not it's really no it's not it's it's like I'm not in that club. It's their club. They can do whatever they want. But what it reminds me of is I, I was in an anthology. You guys, I can't think of the book off the top of my head, but you know you have they have, you have the bios of all the authors in the back, mm-hmm. and every single bio in the back of the book except mine started with New York Times bestselling writer. <laughs> every single one. Oh my there, God. What, have I, what have I done wrong? You know? <laughs> but if you look, if you look at the, uh, uh, the circumstances of a lot of those New York times, bestselling writers, some of them are legit. And some of them only got New York times, bestselling status because they wrote a novelization of a, of a franchise, you know, that would have been a bestselling book, no matter who wrote it. Yeah. Which brings no, us back fair. to, which brings us back to who wrote it. And why should it why should it matter? You know, hmm. servicing a friend. There's nothing dishonorable about servicing a franchise. I've done it, but uh, it's like I'm not going to say that I was a New York Times bestselling author on the merit of my writing. If I did a you know like an Aliens novelization or something, <laughs> yeah, that'll sell. Brendan, was that all, sir? Well, no, I'm I'm kind of curious now. Like it, <laughs> you, what you were saying almost reminded me of kind of the notion where you see people you know, see a, a movie adaptation of, uh, of of a certain book or maybe even a remake of something and, and oh, it's, it's ruined the original. And, you know, my kind of opinion on that is always it's the original still up on the shelf. You can always That's go back and watch the what, original. Isn't that what Faulkner said or, or, or F. Scott Vajero? Somebody, somebody it, said it long before me. I just couldn't think my of book. Who. My book's right over there on the shelf. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm wondering, is that it, it, when you start hearing people say that you're ruining horror, I mean... That's that's got to be your reaction to some extent. Like, no, it's you're doing horror. You know, you're doing horror. It's a, there's so many different branches of it, and this is just what we're doing at the moment, and it's hardly ruining anything. Or, I mean, do you embrace that's like, that? That means horror. If that's true, horror me. That means horror is a Baskin Robbins with only one flavor, vanilla. Yeah. Right, like vanilla. And it's like if 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 you if 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 Patrick or Brennan or Candace, if you guys are ruining horror for anybody, your answer to that is beat me. Yeah. Do better. That's true. You know, that's all it is. And I think not to make it and because not to make it into a competition, because I don't think writers should compete with each other except in a friendly way. And, uh, but but uh, it's it's like, OK, <laughs> your system is so great. Prove it. And the air dies again. I thought Brennan was going to take over. What the hell, man? <laughs> no, I just wanted to see how long we could extend the awkward silence following Prove It. All right. So sticking with Splatterpunk a little bit. Um, obviously, you have been, you know, you've been, uh, as you have alluded yourself to, you've been in the industry for quite some time. So how has... I what, didn't say those words, but... That's true. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm a okay. dick, but... <laughs> How how has it evolved? How Three has years and you know he finally admitted? Yeah, exactly. I waited. Um, I I how, started I started as a brick and mortar writer on a manual typewriter. Okay, those people are dying now. They're going away. You know, most everybody at least had a screen way back before the beginning, mm-hmm. in the in the Pleistocene you know age or or whenever. 
And what I have watched happen is I have watched the publishing industry, at least as it used to be defined by big ass New York publishing, go completely to hell and disappear up its own ass in a horrifying way. Um, they talk about the death of publishing, you know, what they're really talking about is assisted suicide because these people had no idea what they were doing even way back when. <laughs> and what they were doing was fucking writers left and right. You know, how do you think they could afford those big offices in Manhattan? You know, why do you think your bank has such a cool looking office? Because they're ripping you off. You know, same goes for big ass publishing. And it's worse now than it's ever been. It's 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 so dependent on franchises and uh, big. I'll tell you something in 19. I think it was in 1986 when uh, the publishers began to swallow each other even more when you know the big 11 became the big five became the big four you know whatever uh i think it was penguin putnam at the time i probably got it wrong i i, I wrote about it somewhere and i don't have my notes in front of me but but uh, they freely admitted that tom clancy alone was 85 percent of their profit margin okay substitute the name of any writer of stature that you want to in mm -hmm. in that slot oh if tom God. clancy is 85 percent of their profit margin wouldn't you think that okay in olden times that would free up more publisher budget to do mid-list writers but yeah. no they said we don't want one bestseller to tow 10 other books we want 10 bestsellers okay that means you, 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 me, we're completely shut out of that system unless there's a magic wand winning the lottery kind of happenstance. Or unless we murder somebody famous. <laughs> I, wrote a, I wrote a story about this once. It's like, hey, wait a minute. I've got a solution. All I have to do is shoot John Lennon and I'm made. Somebody jump in. No, we're oh, doing that okay. You're going to stop doing Candace, that, man. I Candace, thought you were going to finish that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, see, that's that's one. You can't just leave silence after that. No. <laughs> All of that comment. <laughs> so I got a question from Mark Allen Gunnels. He yeah. asks, what are your feelings on the O-Bar graphic novel and what were the challenges to adapting it? I have no idea what he's talking about. There you go, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, James O'Barr, uh, James O'Barr, who created uh, uh, the graphic novel of The Crow and is responsible for all those little crow people out there still sitting there at this moment. Um, O'Barr actually adapted a short story of mine to comic book form before we ever met. A long time ago, there was a, there was a, a, a graphic magazine called Horror, the Illustrated Book of Fear. And they handed James a story of mine to turn into a comic book. And that was our first sort of uh, intersection. That had nothing to do with the crow uh, coming along later. later. But uh, bear in mind that when we were making the movie of the crow, the comic wasn't finished. Uh, we had three issues and then we had two issues worth of incomplete pencils where we just, we kind of had to make up the end of the movie while we were there because we didn't know where he was he was really uh, going with it. And the only good news about them 
doing the movie again, doing doing a, a, a prequel or a pre-make or a reboot or a re-boo-boo or, you know, or whatever, uh, is that uh, the only good thing about them going back to the well on The Crow is that, you know, James gets a check, which is a good thing. I yeah. like him. I like him. I like his artwork, too. Um, I, This is coming from me, but did you were on the, I know you were on the set and whatnot. Um, what was... My favorite actor of all time is Gary Oldman. I just fucking love him so much. He I've lives never... here. He lives. He has a mailbox in my mailbox place. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I've. I don't know if I've said that to a guest. Um, I don't know if I'll ever have anyone else that even knows him. So, what was he like on set? What What's he like now? I just want. Oh, I've never. Met, oh, I've never met Gary Oldman. Okay, you're throwing me so many curveballs today. I thought I've never met him. I just know that he has a mailbox in my mailbox place. Okay, uh, so what was uh, I was about to ask the same question. I would have figured you met him. Sorry, very assumptuous of me. Um, I admire him. What was it like? And I'm sure you've been asked this before. What was it like to see and to still know that a movie you wrote? has such a diehard following like it's a cult movie it has and in the soundtrack which i i love is is a young uh trent reznor um yeah he's one of the greatest musicians i think of of all time like the everything that could have gone right with this well knock on wood not everything but most things that could have gone right with the movie did and that's going to be pretty fucking cool man we listened to uh, uh, a pretty hate machine was pretty much on permanent rotation in, <laughs> in our in our uh, in our uh, uh, studio setting. Actually, the art department three, played uh, three albums over and over and over. Pretty hate machine, never mind, and uh, the first uh, Stone Temple Pilots album. Oh yes, and I like that I'm. One. I'm very proud of the fact that I'm the guy who suggested T Stone Temple Pilots for the soundtrack. Yeah, and we wow. actually got a, I didn't we know actually that. got a new song from them. That's really that that whole sound. I own that CD. It's um, it's pretty pretty amazing for but, movie soundtracks too. But to your question, uh, here's another weird thing you'll discover if you're around long enough: is that you never get to pick the thing for which you become famous. Of all your work, if you could pick something and go, you know, I wish I was better known for that thing over there, you know, or something like that. You never get to pick it. It's always up to other people. Uh, the fortunate thing is that occasionally it happens and you don't have any control over it, which is a good thing. Um, you don't have any control over it, but, you know, I hope you all get picked for something at some time or another. That's why that's why Candace got a Splatterpunk Award. Just saying, look, they point point at it, you know. That's awesome. It's like, it's like so we David, have if trophy, you could we have trophies now. <laughs> <laughs> if you could pick what you uh what you wanted to get famous for, what would you have gone with? Well, I don't know because I always use that other answer every time somebody asks me the question. So <laughs> <laughs> So you don't have to think about it. <laughs> it's like it's like I'll tell I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something, Brand. The, the uh, um, in uh, twenty nineteen, I think twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, uh, Subterranean Press did a, a big kind of a 
uh, a best of volume of mine, kind of like my KTEL greatest hits album, you know, and, and uh, uh, I get to, you know, pick the stories for it. And so the answer to the question might lie in those selections, right? Because if you've written a bunch of short stories or novels, you're going to go, you know, I wish that one had gotten more attention. And there's stories in that book that are that are like that. There's a Jack the Ripper story that I wrote. There's a story about Mexican wrestlers that I wrote uh, that just, you know, they just never caught fire in the real world. But they're uh, I'll, but I will say they're among my favorites of my own stories, if that counts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it would be it would be stories. It would be stories like that. I'm incredibly proud of the crow, but I'm incredibly proud of Leatherface. I'm incredibly proud of Critters. I mean, Leatherface was my baby. It was my first movie. How can I hate it? You know, it went out there in the world. It may not be the greatest Chainsaw Massacre movie in the world, but you know what? Somebody walks up to you and says, you know, that's, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 is my favorite movie. You can't tell them they're wrong. (laughs) I mean, it's one of my favorites. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I just watched it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> we just got we just got on the cover of Fangoria again for the first time in 32 years. Holy shit. Since the last time that Leatherface was on the cover, we're on the cover of the new issue because my friend uh my friend Amanda, Amanda Reyes, wrote an article about the making of the Excalibur trailer <laughs> for that movie where it comes the lady in the lake and the chainsaw and everything. Mm-hmm. Which uh, was Mike DeLuca's idea, but uh, uh, it's like we're back. We're back on the cover of Fangoria. It only took three decades and change. <laughs> so, Brendan, unless you got another follow up, or Candace, you got one. I'm you guys are out of questions. I, I do. No, I, no, no, no. Candace no, has no, a stack Candace. of note cards. Go, Candace. <laughs> I'm talking, Patrick. Okay, so since we are on the screenplays or since someone already brought up the crow which you know what honestly i was going to try not to do that just because i'm 99 positive that is the one thing you talk about the most just because of the status to me <laughs> but but i don't mind talking but i don't mind talking about it to you i mean you know because you've never heard me say this stuff right this is true and i've seen the movie many many times i will thank you admit that i love it so since we are on the screenplays right now, one of my questions that I had was, which one did you find the most re- rewarding to write if you could pick one? Uh, the Crow is at the front of the line because I, I had not just from the writing, but from the experience of making the movie. Yes, there's tragedy involved because of the accident. Mm-hmm. However, um, there were so many other things that were terrific about making that movie under those circumstances in that place at that time. Okay. The rest of them are, it's like some of my favorite screenplays of mine are for movies that didn't get made. Uh, we had, uh, we had one where we had uh, David Ellis was signed up to direct a, uh, uh, a movie that I wrote called bad luck. Uh, <laughs> never titled your movie, bad luck folks. Um, <laughs> And David died. We had it cast. We had we had Mila Jovovich cast, and we were ready to s- start pre-production on the movie. And David died in Australia, and the movie died with him. Um, I love Mila. She's awesome. You know, we're this close, man. We were that close. 
I spent a significant portion of the 90s writing movies for which I was paid very well, which never got made. Which is another invisible way that you can make a living yeah. at this gig. Because if you guys have written novels and short stories in this field or any other, you know that uh, nobody goes out of the way to shower you with health insurance and a retirement plan. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Correct. Brian King so, used to talk about that a lot on his uh, podcast. He, Brian King talked about that on his podcast a lot. It's like, well, because uh, for better or worse, uh, let's say, let's say that you, you know, uh, you write a series of movies that aren't that well recommended, but you, you know, you, you make a living doing it. I have, I have many friends who have done this. Uh, they make these invisible livings writing these movies that they're not particularly, it's not that they're not proud of them, but they're not in a hurry to brag about them. <laughs> and but what that does is and it gets you into the writer's guild if you're in the writer's guild writer's guild is a writer's guild is a union hmm. we get royalties because of the writer's guild i get mailbox money for the writer's guild i get a pension because of the writer's guild and they have the best health insurance on the planet come on kid I, and so if anybody uh says you know wh why did you branch out from writing prose into screenplays that's the best reason in the universe here's another reason a person that won't touch a syllable of what you write in prose will watch something that you were involved with if it was a movie or a tv show yeah and there are and i don't know if you guys have noticed this or not but there are very few horror writers who write horror movies except for independent ones mm. You know what I mean? I'm just thinking of them. Yeah. It's like the example is more, the example is starker in science fiction because, you know, you, you, you get past Bradbury and Matheson and then it's hard to name one, you know, um, but they didn't do those many movies either, but they're twice as known. I was, uh, I was working on a show in the nineties called the hunger, hmm. which you may have heard of. The Hunger shot itself in the foot because it wanted to be an erotic horror series, right? Unfortunately, the producers that we were dealing with thought that erotic horror means you fuck, you die. <laughs> that was it. That was the plot of like every episode. So it, it, it was like, you know, it, but our second season was hosted by David Bowie. Wow. You know, there are people out there horror fans who haven't heard of a horror series hosted by David Bowie. I mean, how do you cope with that? But um, one of the people I helped get a story into the uh, pipeline to have an episode made out of it, and it was a terrible episode, was Poppy Z. Bright at the time. Oh, And I'm going to say, but there are people... You will. There, there are twice as many people who are going to come to you having seen a thing that has your credit on it, no matter how famous you are for having your name on a book. Yeah, that, there was that's a couple a... of other. Uh, Kim Newman had an episode. Krista Faust had an episode. Uh, uh, they, they were like, nobody remembers this. <laughs> nobody remembers that our first season was hosted by Terrence Stamp. Hmm. You know, it's like it's just that was a show. You know, so. <laughs> it all counts though it, it all counts and and the uh in, in terms of you know your longevity um 
and I just found this out just recently too, because it's, it's, uh, I was talking, I was talking to, I was talking to Mick Garris, who you may have heard of. And, uh, he said, he goes, yeah, it's really weird. It's like at the age we are, you know, at this point, he says, it's really weird. We're making more money now by not doing anything than we were when we were working. <laughs> I like Mick. I like his show too. I've um, been on Mick's show. I've been on Mick's show. I've known Mick longer than anybody that I've ever known in Hollywood. I met Mick. When were you born? Uh, January 8th, 1989. When were you born, Bren? 85. Candace? 76. I met, I met Mick Garris in 1976. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I was wondering something on a nightmare in Elm street five. I, I didn't know this until I looked it up. It says you're uncredited on the screenplay. We've heard skips version and he, he did not hesitate to shit all over the movie. I'm just wondering, did he, didn't, he didn't, I don't think he meant, did he mention David on it? Brennan? I could not tell you off the top of my he, head. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have because I came in long after they were involved. Okay. And uh, do you want to hear the quick story about Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5? No, we want to hear the long, detailed version. <laughs> well, because John will say, you see, John will say, I'll give you the quick version, and he's still talking half an hour later. <laughs> now, that's a lot of talk to support the idea that he wrote a movie where only one line of theirs made it into the movie. And saying, there's a disproportion on the seesaw here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much of the story that you already you get you, you already know, but um, okay, I'll try not to be boring with this. Once upon a time, there was a writer, me. Uh, I got called up by New Line uh, uh, by Mike DeLuca, who John probably mentioned, producer there. Says, we we love the Splatterpunks. You guys want to come in and pitch for this? I went in and pitched for Nightmare Five. I had a treatment called Freddy Rules. And uh, they said, fine, we, we would love to hire you to write this movie. Go across the hall, give me your social security number. And uh, oh, and one more thing. We need to see a screenplay you've written. And I was the only schmuck in Hollywood without a screenplay in his back pocket. <laughs> so I did not get the job. <laughs> Skip Inspector got the job. And so... They wrote a draft. They went away. Uh, and then everybody who worked on the script after them hated working on that movie so much that they took pseudonyms. <laughs> Bill Wisher was the first one. The guy who wrote Terminator was the first one. Then it was Les Bohm, uh, who had some other kind of weird pseudonym. And then they're in production. Well, see, it's, it's uh, because uh, DeLuca at New Line made it his mission to get me a credit at that point. So we began besieging Freddy's Nightmares, which was the TV show, the Nightmare on Elm Street TV show. Mm -hmm. And so we're spending all of our time at this grim studio out in Sun Valley, which was right next to this horrible little biker bog called The Web, where, uh, where DeLuca and I shot a lot of pool. And, uh, and uh, horrible, uh, a soundstage the size of this office. You know, basically, it was cramped. It was cheap. Um, and you go out and they say, all right, well, we just got to get you an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. 
but you got to pitch to the producer was a fellow named Jeff Freilich. And uh, so we'd gotten, we'd be sitting on Jeff's sofa in the office and go, what about a show where Freddie was like this? Or what about a show where, and, and you know how it is when you're trying to impress somebody with your ability to do something. And they say, well, can you beat that out for us? And you write this detailed thing. Once, of, you know, the characters went in because, because of his childhood trauma. And we, we, no good. No good. No, no. Uh, or they say the worst thing, which is they say, oh, you know, we've already got an episode like that. You know, that you do. So it always boils down to you're sitting around the office someday, one day. And you say, and you say, what if. There was like a goth chick in the high school and her dream date was Freddie. <laughs> and a producer looks at you and goes, write it. You know, and it's just, bam. We didn't have time to sign contracts. It was ridiculous. So I turned this thing in. This is the story of my career. <laughs> I turned this thing in. I, 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 wrote a, uh, I wrote the last episode of the first season, which was called Safe Sex. And... Uh, Fortunately, I got a show that actually uh, four of the shows in each season had Freddie in the show as a character <laughs> as opposed to just the host of the show. So three or four of the episodes per season would have Freddie actually interacting in the in the show. And so we got to hang out with Freddie a lot as, as a result with Robert a lot as, mm. as a result of that. He seems like a super nice guy. Oh, yeah. All he does is talk about food. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> um, we love him. We love him. Uh, uh, so safe sex gets written, gets on the boards within 24 hours of me turning in the screenplay to safe sex, which is of course the screenplay that's supposed to prove I can write a script, right? Within 24 hours, they signed me to write Leatherface. Holy shit. So before we tip over into Bragland, right? Uh, so you the win. first TV show that I ever wrote and the first feature that I ever wrote not only got bought, but produced. That's amazing. Wow. Not many people can say that. I am strained to think of another one. One more would be nice. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they're out there. The only one I can think of is Josh Mallerman's Bird Box, which is his debut book. and Oh, and good it, for Josh, too, because it was based on a book that he wrote. Yeah, <laughs> that's the only one that I can think of. I know a lot of people that are optioned, and I also know that that really doesn't mean anything besides you get some money. Is it maybe. my imagination, or does Josh write like a novel a month? No, it's not. At least. He's, he's a fucking machine. It's, it's unfair. Like, wow, I'm impressed. No, I don't know if this is this will this connection will make sense to anyone else but me but i'm going here um when we did talk i don't know if you listened to the peter straub conversation but he i asked I him did. i so, did okay so when i asked peter, him about, peter was a very close friend that one hurt that one hurt when he when yes, i heard it hurts right now yeah yeah i love love that guy coco to me is forever just on its own tier as super i used to stay at peter's house in new york whenever i went to new york it's like talking to Joe. Any you, you want to make me jealous? Hey, here's a cool story about a cool guy, man. My, <laughs> per, my purpose in coming here, Patrick, is to make you feel like shit. <laughs> that would be episode number one eighty, where that you feel like purpose. shit. It's to, it's to crush your dreams. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. 
Uh, no, it doesn't matter. The show, uh, we got to switch the logo. It's going to have David Scott's face on it now. Um, <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say that Peter was, when I asked him if he's going to do a third talisman, I didn't know how sick he was. But when I asked him if he's going to do a third talisman, um, that he said he can't keep up with Steven anymore or Steve anymore. And um, that's how I feel like a lot of people are when they think of Josh, that yeah, he just can't keep up. He, he's just a freak. Well, just in to, the just best of de- ways, just to derail the train uh, for a minute here. Who do you, who do you folks like to read? Are you reading mostly newer writers that you have to, that you have to advertise to everyone or do you, if read I didn't, books. Do, you, do you read Josh's books? I like Josh, but if I didn't have to re- read to keep keep up, uh, I would want to read the bibliography of Lansdale, um, which I guess I'd be reading that forever. Yeah, you can stop with Lansdale after about 23 books. I like your books. I like Skip. I like um, Peter Straub's one of my favorite. I love Ronald Kelly's work too. I'm with you. I'm with you on Coco. That was, that was kind of my entry point, and it was just, I was knocked out by it. But yeah. later in his career, when he wrote Lost Boy, Lost Girl, and and those series of books, Lost Girl, uh, Lost Boy, Lost Girl, and uh, what was the one right after that? The Night Room, I forget. I forget, man. Uh, they were originally one book. Oh, and uh, and he he said, oh, you know, because Peter would say, you know, oh, I have to, ugh, you know, so he would he would he would uh, he would say he recreated himself in the most amazing way he took this because he was used to writing these big bricks, you know, these yeah. ponderous, long involved, complicated things. And he took the project that he was working on and split it in half with an ax. And you read those two the night in the night room. That's it. Yeah. That's the second book. You read those books and they move like a house on fire. And, and they're really lean and they're really, they're the opposite of the throat and they're the opposite of Coco. They're not that involved and they're really good. Mm. And he kept that up. Uh, he kept that up. If you've read a dark matter. I haven't read that one yet. Oh my God. What a good book. Favorites. I've read it probably nine times. Ten yeah. times. And he told me, he told me it was, it was fairly obvious because, you know, Peter had, uh, uh, what uh, what is it called? He had to he had to have a uh, an LVAD uh, put a left ventricle ventricular assist device put into his chest, and unfortunately, that is it's a lifesaver. Uh, but the downside of it is that you have about a year after they put this thing in you, and you know a, a lot of people knew that, and a lot of people like it. listen, listen, if you need to say something, don't wait, you know. And uh, he said he was in the middle of a book when he died. He had 500 pages written. I did not know that. But it was it was like, you know, one of these giant tomes. I don't know. I wonder wonder what will become of that. I don't know, man. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure this is the last place he ever had an interview. And I, I think so, too. I think so, too. Yeah. Looking back on it now. I feel like he was happy about it because when I brought up Coco, he had this light, this glint in his eye. Um, and I didn't really recognize that at first until the guy co-hosting it, Ken McKinley, I think it was him or Brennan mentioned it. 
Um, I think it made him remember when he was that age um, writing about it, which was cool. But uh, anyways, um, Susan's really sweet, too. I really love talking to her. And my son, that's the only episode my son is on um, just for a moment. Because she really she her her and kids like you can see she's a total grandmother. I had a point to all this. Um, Oh, yes. The last email I had back and forth with Peter, uh, I asked him. I was just curious. I wasn't saying, hey, I'll write it. But uh, I was asking him if anyone has asked him if he would, if they would write a biography on him, how how he would feel about that. And he said someone asked him, I want to say in the 90s, might have been the 80s. And he said that he he was kind of like down on himself. And it was kind of strange because he's such a nice guy. Um, Did you ever get that sense that he was, that he, kind of beat himself up a little bit. I know we all do, but I'm just, I'm just thinking about it now. I've never talked about this on air. Patrick, I don't know. uh, I don't know uh, on what basis he would beat himself up that way, other than just being the perfectionist that he was, because uh, uh, he certainly, um, a lot of people don't realize what a, what a, what a, what a kind of giant Peter was not only of, a genre stuff, but of literature in general, a guy that took that much care with the language. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ramsey, he was a poet. Ramsey, Ramsey springs to mind. As a, as okay. A that's fair. You know? Yeah. Um, um, and it's like, so, you know, who, who knows what kind of demons there were? Mm-hmm. I think somebody I, should write a biography. Anybody as interesting as Peter um, um, should have a biography written about them because it's like peter is frequently associated with steve king yeah to the point where uh i literally saw oh we're going into production on steve king's the talisman i went wait there's another guy involved in this that you should be crediting (laughs) oh my god and it's like okay and it's like i'll i'll do credit i'll do credit to steve but really folks i mean come on um and I had a point to that. And where was I going with that? Uh, 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 they, everybody should everybody should have that kind of scrutiny because if you don't, who's going to examine it? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we've talked about before that that authors aren't like Paul Tremblay. He got uh, that uh, M Night Shyamalan movie adapted from from his book, and it's not in the poster. Someone made it um, and posted it on Twitter, but it's it's not. Authors should be recognized for their you mean, work. There's if, a movie where they yeah, there's a movie where they don't credit the author of the book. <laughs> where do they think it started? That's like doing the crow without crediting a bar. You know, <laughs> it's fuck. It's bullshit, man. It, it's Ooh. like uh, <laughs> it shows you how far studios have fallen. You know, yeah. since the uh, the good old days. I would like. There, there's a couple of bibliographies of Straub that I've read, but no real incisive kind of uh, biography. And I remember what my point was. Now, uh, Peter and Steve are frequently associated. Mm. Here's the thing: people don't understand about Peter Straub and Steve King. It's like Steve is the guy who goes, "Isn't that nasty?" You know. <laughs> Who go? He tries to, but Steve strives to appear completely ordinary. You know, in his day to day life, 
Mm. The difference is, is that Peter, the most ordinary looking guy on the planet, is the weirdo of the two. <laughs> I was with Peter one day and he goes, we have to go down to, 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 to you know, this bar in Hell's Kitchen somewhere that apparently had the best jazz jukebox in New York. And I went down to this place and it's full of what Peter would call young people, you know, and we go down there and he dragged a bar stool over to the jukebox and sat there and just fed money into this jukebox and played it for an hour and a half. He played it like he was playing a musical instrument. He played the jukebox like the Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> you know, playing the organ. Yeah. And it was like, and I wish you could have seen that. I, I wish you could that. have seen something like that. There's a whole, he's such an, Peter was such an oddball. I mean, I, re I really loved him. I really loved him and I really miss him. Yeah. I don't I don't mean to turn our entire David Scow conversation to a Peter Straub conversation, but well, I asked you guys, I was gonna ask you guys what, what you were reading, right? That's how we started. Yeah. Well, well one thing I want to throw ahead. at you about him though, um, is for for all intents and purposes, you know, based on our conversation with him, based on anybody that we've talked to who had uh any kind of interaction with him. The, the 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 constant that keeps coming up is just a, a kind guy who was so generous with his time and i wonder if there's any stories you have that you know kind of reinforce that that model well uh first of all to contextualize this like a little bit it's just more proof that none of us exists in a vacuum especially if we're doing this, you know, for a living or, or as a pursuit or otherwise, uh, we exist in the context of the other people around us. Now, to get to the question, it's like, how generous was he? It's like he had uh, an apartment in the bottom of his brownstone in New York that was my go-to place to stay every time I took a trip to New York. So I had, a, so I had the keys you know, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I stayed there. I stayed there every time I, I'm, every time I went there and invariably the kitchen, which was on the bottom floor of the brownstone was the gathering place. <laughs> the office was on the top floor. You had to go up four flights of stairs to get to the office. And so the office was a trip that you did not undertake lightly. And, and, it, and it's like the office had, you know, it had its own fridge, you know, and everything upstairs. So, but, uh, uh, how generous was he? he saved me a lot of hotel bills i didn't have to sleep on couches that's yeah. for true and every yeah, time that's you amazing. hang out at you know peter's house downstairs in the basement and ine inevitably unavoidably you're going to wind up going out to dinner with him half the time and uh so you know that was that too although i didn't make one tragic life mistake uh when peter was visiting me in hollywood once which was that i took him and ramsey campbell out to dinner and picked up the wine bill. And oh my God. <laughs> Ramsey's funny as hell, man. It's it was it was breathtaking. It was breathtaking. But but no, generous to a fault. I can't think of an area where he wasn't that generous. But flip the coin over, Brennan. Flip the coin over. Imagine yourself sitting in Peter Straub's office, just hanging around. He comes over with this stack of paper and he hands it to me and he goes, tell me what you think of this. 
and it was a story called Little Red's Tango that he uh, had just he just finished writing. And I thought, I'm going. What do I say? What do I say? Oh my god! <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was starstruck at that point. I hope I acquitted myself well. I'm sure you did all right. Um, all right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take us away from Peter as much as I'd love to just sit and talk. You know, like I we can have a whole separate show. We could have a whole separate show. You know, like oh, I the Blue Rose show. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, I just I can't. Like, it's like just because he's not with us anymore doesn't mean we shouldn't be talking about him. Yeah, Brian, I'm what the so, fuck's your problem, man? Yeah. Hey, stop interrupting me. Um, I'm so, you know, David, <laughs> I'm so pleased that you, you know, knew him and can speak to him. It's We talked to him for 90 minutes and it just, it, it feels like that's something I'm going to remember 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Yeah, um, imagine, imagine if you had never done that. Yeah. Imagine if you were sitting around regretting that you had never done that. And I don't even mean because he's passed away now. Um, I just mean, no. and, and I don't even mean because he's a literary giant. I, I mean, because he's just one of those people that even in a short period of time in a short conversation can leave a mark on you. Um, and that's a conversation I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, I think. And he was never not interesting to talk to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm getting Who's on. next. <laughs> Candace Nola. <laughs> Award-nominated, award-winning editor and author. Do you have a question or am I supposed to speak now? <laughs> Next note card, please. Next note card, okay. Um, I, I want I want Candace to imagine people doing a show where they're talking about her like this. Yeah, Candace, where are you going to be in 20 years? No, no, no. Hopefully invisible still. Um, I do not want to show about me. <laughs> um until she does, which will be 20 years from now. No. no. What's your um, question? Are, are you going to let me? Are you going to let me? Okay. Oh, she, you fit right in here. This is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, you just asked, asked, asked us, I can't even speak now, um, what we are reading. So, yes. even though I didn't actually answer the question, and I'm just going to skip right over that, who are you reading right now? That's a really tough question to answer. I read lots and lots of people, but as of the last week or two, um, a, uh, uh, a terrific book that falls uh, so good that it fell right out of my head uh, about the, uh, the guy who, um, the guy, see, you're doing, now I got to go get the book, see. Uh -huh. <laughs> is that an alien? Oh, no, that's the... Uh... I've been wondering what that green thing is for a while. It's the um, the monster from the Black Lagoon. I can have a bite of my cupcake now. It's making me happy because I've been <laughs> been staring at it the whole time. Like, Where the hell did you get a cupcake? I got two cupcakes. <laughs> I didn't want to do it while David was talking. <laughs> yep. No, yeah. I gotta get. I gotta get. I gotta get show and tell here. I mean a cupcake, David. <laughs> Please have a cupcake. Wait, where is it? Where is it? I have two cupcakes. Did you bring enough for the class, though? Like, I can't hand you. Question. I have my show and tell pile. Here. Oh, um, that's right. How far could right. you possibly be from Pittsburgh? Bring her a cupcake, please. <laughs> bring me a cupcake. <laughs> it's about eight miles, uh, eight hours away. The yeah, book that funny. I was trying to remember is a book called The Man Who Invented Motion Pictures. Ooh. It's about the guy who was there before Edison. You know, before Lumiere, 
in uh, another Frenchman, of course, mm-hmm. a book by Paul Fisher, okay. another book, which is written by my friend Walter Chaw, who is a, a film critic. Wait a minute. And this is a Titanic 560 page book. Nice. Okay. I like that cover. On the movies of Walter mm-hmm. Hill. Yeah. Tragedy and masculinity in the films of Walter Hill. All right. Boy, is this a good book if you're a fan <laughs> of those movies. Aaron Dree's House of Size. That's mm, a good one. We Aaron love Aaron. Aaron's a friend. Yeah. Yeah. One, I hadn't, one I had not heard of. <clears throat> Superior, brilliant book. Airplane Mode. By Elliot Downing. I've not heard of that. I I spent a lot of time unbecoming a science fiction fan because most of it's terrible. <laughs> most, most of the stuff that I read bores the shit out of me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is this is superior work by a person I'd never heard of before. Boy, is this a good book. Nice. My God, is this a good book. Well, uh, another another book that I read was uh, by I can never figure out how to pronounce her last name. Help me, Samantha Koyesnik. Koyesnik, true yeah, crime. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, a great that's fucking book, man. <laughs> and that and that and that points up the value of the Splatterpunk Awards because now I can use the Splatterpunk Awards to sift stuff that I need to read. Tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah. She's got a yeah. book with Brian Smith coming out early next year. Yeah. And there's a uh, and there's another uh, another novel uh, that I just finished called uh, 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 by uh, a writer named Jordan Harper. Oh, yeah. Uh, everybody the knows. Of, the Last King of California. Oh, Last King, yep. I haven't read yeah. that one yet. Oh, I my God, what a good book. Yeah. yeah, have you read um she she read Shotgun? No, I haven't read anything else by him. It's so fucking good, man. Yeah. It's about this dad that uh he gets out of prison and the Aryan Brotherhood puts a hit on his wife and daughter and it's basically just like it it might not sound like it's much different from other action films that you would see like Scorsese or Tarantino direct. Well, actually, that sounds amazing. It's a good book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good book. I like how you just pitched and sold yourself <laughs> I, on it. I, I sold but myself on it. Same, it's the same white supremacist organization as The Last King of California. It's Aryan Steel. Those are related, yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. I Those didn't books know that. Are related. Yeah. Okay. Same yeah, well, group. It's, yep. it's fucking good. Yeah, Jordan's, Jordan's a really cool guy. Um, he he wrote some uh he wrote for Gotham. I don't know if you guys have seen that show. Mm-hmm. It, it's a Batman show. I mean there's a million Batman things, but it was a pretty interesting show. Um Candace, do you have any more questions before I rudely interrupt? Yeah, I have like nine. So you know, I can do this all night. <laughs> That's what she said. Okay, so to follow up that come on. Okay, thank you, Brian. Oh, I'm just gonna ignore you. <laughs> Moving on to the adult conversation now. David. Thank you. Okay. Seriously though, she fits right in, right? Like right? this is this is what uh, our guests so do. I don't <laughs> want to say yes because then I'm just gonna get shit on by her. You, I would. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, finishing up. 
Um, since you told us who you are reading now, and I did recognize quite a few of them, or at least the last half as being somewhat relatively newer. Um, and you also mentioned that you do keep an eye on the Splatterpunk Awards as well. Who do you, not who, do you have anyone in mind that you feel is someone to keep an eye on, like someone to watch that you see is going to be a up and coming star sometime soon is really putting out superior work compared to the rest? Or do you feel like there's just so much out there right now and any one of them could just blow up at any minute? I think the latter, uh, there's too much to process. I would love to see more stuff by Samantha, but I've only read one thing by her so far. And usually the proof of that is that you you read across a breadth of stuff and then you say, this is so consistently good. I'll give you an example. Uh, S. Craig Zoller. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's like I've read every Hodge. single book that S. Craig Zoller has written. His newest one is called The, the Slanted Gutter. And it's just as good as the other ones. And it's just in my sweet spot for, for reading. Mm. And I don't think a single one of those books was published professionally. Uh, you know, really? he did them really? himself or he had, a, you know, some small press, you know, you do them somewhere. Not nothing wrong with the small press. They do all my short story collections. I'm a subterranean press guy from 1997, yep. you know, so, uh, um, you know, I, I would say keep your eye on Craig Zoller, but he's already a star. <laughs> so, so I want to see what, you know, I want to see what Aaron does. I want to see what Samantha does. I want to see more. I want to see more. Sam came out with a book uh, earlier this year, Waif, W-A-I-F. See, I need it, to catch up already. It's it's a lot different. She, um, Brent and I got to read it early on, which was fun, but it's a lot different, but it's just as, it's just as unexpected. And, and it kicks and the door in, it's in lean. a different it, way, but it kicks lean. the door in. It's lean and it bites hard. But that's good mm. to hear. That's good to hear because it's not just one note. Yeah. Replicated. Uh, no, she's got people. it. And she's got uh she's got her uh her hand in the film world too. Um yeah, she's when, busy. When Steve Gallagher uh once said that it, it's like there's several kinds of writers, and one kind is the writer that finds what, what works and then just gets into the cloning business. Mm. You know? Yep. So for the for her second book to be as far away from the first one, but the same but different, that's the best news that you could possibly do. Yeah. Right. Okay, so mo moving on from there, but uh, along the same line, since we have established that you have had a long um, hand in the industry itself, so you have written screenplays. Uh, short stories, you have nonfiction work out there, you have long form work. Do you prefer one form over the other and why? Primarily short stories, because that's where I started. Okay. That I think is the best expression of the form. It's certainly the best expression of the horror genre. Uh, the horror genre was designed for short stories, but hell, Poe knew that, you know. Uh, um, <laughs> An oldie but a goodie. <laughs> Seeing red uh, is what Brennan was holding up for audio listeners. Hey, hey man, I just got Tom Canty to do 30 illustrations for one of my reprints. Oh, he did the cover for Seeing Red originally That's 30 years ago. Yeah. And I've got another project out there that I just signed him up to do 35 illustrations for. 
Damn. <laughs> but I can't talk about that stuff now. Uh, but but to answer the question, primary, I love I, I love everything differently. I apply myself differently to them, but I like all of these because it's all variations on the same thing. And I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, I was never, unlike many of our listeners, I was never a comic book fan. I wasn't either. <laughs> And uh, so all of the stuff about the Marvel universe and everything just leaves me ice cold. And uh, I don't care. It's fine for the people who love it. Mm-hmm. But my friend, uh, uh, my friend, uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Straczynski, hardball writer. Uh, he said, hey, you know, you should go talk to you should go talk to Stan- Sandy King, Sandy King Carpenter, Mrs. John Carpenter. And because uh, I'd known Sandy uh, years before and we'd fallen out of touch. And uh, I said, yeah. And I found myself pitching for a comic book that she started a company called Storm King Entertainment. And I found myself pitching for a comic book that they were doing called John Carpenter's Tales for Halloween Night. And uh, John Carpenter's Tales for Halloween Night is interesting because it's a comic anthology. Uh, All of those people out there, for all those people out there who are giving awards for things like this, you need to acknowledge the fact that John Carpenter's Tales for Halloween Night is an original horror anthology that comes out annually. That's pretty amazing. You know, and I've been, I was in the first issue in 2015. I've been in every issue since then. And Storm King has done three series of mine. Me, the guy who would have nothing to do with comic books. And I <laughs> learned how to, I learned how to write them by just uh, diving in and doing, I'm working on one now. I'm working on one now. The first issue will be out in February. Uh, you know, they you have the floppies, which are the thin issues, and then they're all collected into a graphic novel version that has a sturdier spine kind of thing. That's well, pretty the, cool. The, the, fir- the first issue of the new one, which is called The Envoy, will be out in uh, February, I think. Nice. But I've been, it's like I fell into the comic book world. I started working with an artist from Monterey uh, uh, named Andres Esparza. And uh, he now illustrates everything that I do in the comic realm because Lee Lankford, uh, Terrell Lee Lankford, is producing a Joe Lansdale God of the Razor comic book sort of thing. Not a God of the Razor book, but a, uh, a God of the Razor is involved, but it's, a, it's just a comic book, of uh, like a comic anthology of Lansdale stuff mm-hmm. that he asked me to adapt a story for, one of Joe's stories that Andres did the art for. Yeah. That that he's about to that he's about to come up with. So even comics, folks. Who knew? Who knew? Okay. So short stories are your jam. So yes. And you have a plethora of collections out there. So if somebody was new to your written work, which one of those would you suggest they read to get a nice <laughs> range of of exposure to your style if you uh well this may be hard to explain there's this place called amazon <laughs> like a jungle we're with you <laughs> yeah 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 you're with me you i'm know, not you know slow how down that, you know how that works <laughs> you can go on amazon and you can get the very thing that patrick was just holding in his hand which we did as a sampler. 
of stuff of mine because um, two years ago, right at at the beginning of COVID, basically, My friend uh, John Scalari and I undertook to reprint all of my backlist because I wanted a uniform and and stop me when you've heard this one. Uh, It's like, uh, because I think one thing that every writer wants ultimately is that uniform edition of their books that lines up on a shelf and the spines all match. And so we decided to do that. And we went back to all of my plethora of short story convention, a uh, convention collections. And uh, we refreshed them. I rearranged some of them. I put new stuff in every one of them. And I wrote these huge afterwords for each one. And the afterwards are almost autobiographical okay. past a certain point. So if you read them in sequence, it's this weird kind of, you know, uh, autobiography. And at one point, John said, you know, we need to pitch. We did, we did, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Candace, we did, 11 books in a year and a half. Oh, wow. We brought out 11 books in a year and a half. Yeah. Those are my Cimarron Street reprints. They're all on Amazon. And John said, you know, we ought to have a sampler for this stuff. And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. So I said, why don't we do it as the lost issue of a pulp magazine that never existed? Called Weird Doom. Yeah. Now I just happened to have a cover, which was uh, oh, I have it right here. In fact, this is this is a Bernie Wrightson painting. Okay. In color, it's only been ever been published in black and white, and we used it for the cover of Weird Doom. Nice. So it's not a bad artist to have, man. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no, Bernie was uh, Bernie was another close friend, and uh, so when we did Zombie Jam again, when we reprinted Zombie Jam, I thought, why don't we put twice the Bernie Wrightson illustrations in as the first edition had? When we did Havoc Swims Jaded, I put a whole bunch of Bernie's Creature from the Black Lagoon illustrations into it nice. to go with the water theme. Mm-hmm. And I had a uh, black and white pencil that he gave me of the creature that I had my Storm King guy, Andres, ink and color so we could use it as the cover of the of the trade paperback mm. of the book. So answer number one to your question is Weird Doom okay. right behind him. And if you want to go bigger, look for a book called uh, DJ Stories, D-J-S-T-O-R-I-E-S, which Subterranean Press did. And that's my greatest hits collection. Okay. So that's a little bit that's a little bit of history and a lot of what I think is the good stuff at the same time. Hmm. Nice. I told you this when I first got it, but the there's sketches of dinosaurs in there too, but they're just like everything in it is it, it's so detailed. It's so goddamn good. I'm talking about the sampler. Um mm-hmm. it's those those illustrations are by uh, are by a guy named Harry Robbins who lives up in uh, San Francisco, a guy that I met, uh, a guy that I literally met the year after Candace was born (laughs) in uh, Arizona. And uh, he just did these incredibly detailed. I don't know if you're very, I don't know if you're familiar with Virgil Finley or uh, Stephen Fabian or uh, Hannes Bach, but all of those classic era weird tales illustrators. Mm. Okay. 
Harry's illustrations reminded me of that. And I asked him, can you do us a new masthead for Weird Doom that looks like a Weird Tales masthead? And he drew it up in a weekend. Nice. You wow. Know, so it's 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 like Harry just got back in touch. He he might be doing uh he might be illustrating one of our reprints too. We we slowed down on them a bit because uh, we had a cover illustration that was delayed and I began to run out of collections. But uh, but <laughs> I got a, but I got a new one. I got a new one coming out next year from uh, really? Subterranean Press. I don't know who I don't know who the artist is yet because I decided to take my dick out of the process. <laughs> and and let somebody else decide you know for a while that's like stop interfering dave you know and and so uh <laughs> but that's uh that's going to be a book called sweet 13 nice cool sweet as in hotel suite no, okay and that's new stuff and old stuff uh it's uh it's going to be a book of a lot of stories that i wrote for themed anthologies uh that is a Hellboy story for the Hellboy anthology, a Nightbreed story for the Clive Barker anthology, a drive-in story for Joe's drive-in anthology kind of thing. Half the stories are things in other people's universe, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, and then half of them are just new things that I came up with because uh, uh, it's one thing to keep writing the stories. It's another thing to keep writing the stories and try to keep the process fresh. Mm -hmm where you're not sitting there and going, I've written this story already, really. And, and, uh, uh, and it's another thing to find markets for them mm -hmm. because everybody has themes that they want you to fit in. It doesn't matter if the story is any good or not, as long as it's about vampire skateboarders, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and you go, well, where do I go with this? Once upon a time, you or I would write an inventory of stories and there was a bunch of magazine markets that you could send them to mm -hmm. starting with playboy on down you know you always go for the highest paying market first and then work your way down and it's like those magazines don't exist anymore or if they exist mm -hmm. they'll wait three and a half years and they'll pay you twenty dollars for a story <laughs> right. so so you have to find another way to do it and one of the ways that i do is i just throw them into my collections yeah, it's not a bad it's, idea. It's, it's very hard to get them read, though. Brandon, it's very hard to get them read, though, that way. Uh, because they they don't... It's like the, the people who are reading for annuals and things, it just sort of like goes right over their head. Might not grab a collection as opposed to an anthology or magazine issues or whatever. Or they don't think anything that appears in a collection of yours is appearing there for the first time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Ever So what I thought I would do with Cimarron Street, my reprint program, was I just finished, I finished a new story and I said, let's publish this as like our own little story book. It's just, it's an 80 page book. It's, it's like a novelette. Mm. And so we'll just publish it ourselves. I go here, new story, low price, go for <laughs> it or not, you know? <laughs> Candice, let's do one question from you, one for me and then one for Brennan and then we'll do uh, outros. Um, one more for me, huh? Brennan. I have you questions. Can, you can, Dave, you can ask. No, Dave, no, just can. jump. No, please jump in. All right. Uh, you have questions to ask. Yeah. So I, I would love to know what it was like working with uh, Charles Ardai at Hard Case Crime. Short version or long version? Nothing well, but a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You uh, need long. <laughs> no, no. Uh, Charles is, listen, listen, I met Charles when he graduated from high school. He, 
got a job working as an editorial assistant on Isaac Asimov's Science Fiction Magazine. And that's where I met him, was at the magazine in New York. So thanks to Charles, I met Isaac Asimov for the only time in my life. And uh, and uh, he called me up and he said, we'd love to have you for hard case crime, but we can't afford you. <laughs> And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, you know, we, we only pay so much. For I said, yeah, Charles, but it's like hard case crime, man. It's like we're going to be all hard boiled and shit. And he goes, <laughs> well, okay. If you were to do a book for us, like, 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 uh, what would it be about? What would it be called? And I said, it would be called gun work. And he says, what's it about? And I said, I'll tell you tomorrow. <laughs> He called up and I gave him a one-liner the next day. That's the book sitting right behind you. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and uh, uh, he said, I, you know, I gave him a one-liner on it. And he said, done. I wrote it in six weeks flat because I wanted to. It's like 250 pages. You wrote that in yeah. six weeks? Yeah. It's not my best record uh, uh, because I wanted it to be uh Hard boiled in design and pulp in execution. So okay. All right. That's really fair. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And this is how I used to write novelizations. I used to write Miami Vice novelizations. Mm. And so my record, and this is working on a manual typewriter. Uh, I wrote a 60,000 word novel in four days. Jesus. <laughs> Did you? Okay. Wait. Pause and your there. brain smoked for a week. Yes. I want to know that. <laughs> Seriously, because like I've written a lot in one day for eight hours. And You're typing on a manual typewriter? No, it wasn't. I was I was typing on a computer. <laughs> How did you get one of them newfangled computers that you youngsters have? You, how, you should try it, man. It's uh, they're good. Oh Dude. yeah, you have to plug them in and stuff. Is that how it works? Yeah. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I thought I fucked up a deadline. Is what happened, and it's like I thought I had an extra week. <laughs> and they said well you know if you don't turn this in on monday you're going to be late and i thought so i sat down and i'll never forget that saturday this happened on like thursday night right you know that saturday was an 80 page day oh my god and my hands were paralyzed at like <laughs> the end of the day Oh my, I can imagine. And what do you do when you're a youngster and you get into trouble like this? You get up the next morning and you do it again. <laughs> so, you know, anybody it's like, oh my God, my book took me so long. I had to edit it in final code, final draft, and I got no, no, please. <laughs> like four days by I made the deadline, by the way. So um that's impressive. So six, so six weeks for gun work was like a luxury. <laughs> if I'd gone, if I'd gone over, I wouldn't have been punished or anything. I was the only deadline that I uh that like I put on myself. The book sitting next to it, when uh Art I suggested we do these Gabriel Hunt books, because he wanted the yeah, he wanted the uh uh his hard case stable to write installments in his adventure series, mm. basically. And uh, that one I wrote in five weeks. You're making a face. <laughs> What's going on? That's over 300 pages. That's in, Jesus Christ. I don't know if I'd ever be able to do that. 
No, I just skip to the back page. Talk to talk to some of the old pulpas. They got it beat, man. They got it beat. I wish that I could have talked to Ed Gorman. He's one of them. Yeah. But I mean, he's not with us anymore, but he is someone that we can still talk to him. He just he, he won't re- it'll take him a while to respond. <laughs> Although where technology is coming, maybe I could have an AI version of Ed. Yeah, it'll move and talk and everything. And it's like, I just sent a thing around to my mailing list about how, uh, you know, we're not going to, once we, once we input enough data, you're not going to really need live breathing writers anymore. And uh, in 1958, Fritz Leiber wrote a novel called The Silver Eggheads. And The Silver Egghead was about a robot writer named Zane Gort. Zane Gort worked on a machine called a word mill. And he would churn, you know, when, when, you know, when you do interviews with people and they talk about their work process and I have to get so much done a day and they talk about writing, like they're just kind of shitting toothpaste out of a tube, you know, just, I do this much every day, you know, and it's like, don't you ever, don't you ever, no, no, no. Joe I was talks only kidding. Complete, I was only Joe kidding. talks completely different. Like he drowns everybody out when he talks. <laughs> yeah. you know? He has phrases like that. Like today he told me about, um, uh, it, he said that's like trying to punch monkeys out of a tree or something like that. It, I forget the exact phrasing, but I, I'd never heard a phrase like that. So sorry think, for interrupting. I think, I think the first person I ever heard say it'll knock your dick in the dirt was Joe, <laughs> pretty much. But uh, 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 no, you just it's it's some people don't when they're the work ethic is admirable, but you know, did they ever pause and like look at the work that they've done and going, is this, could this possibly be, you know, like a a little better? It's different from, see, I think that writing books under the circumstance of novelizations or writing those books that I was talking about, that's like modern day pulp writing to me. It's to deadline. It's usually one draft. You know, there's very little looking back, but that's not like we were talking about short stories and stuff before. It's it's that's not the only kind of writing that there is. And you just have to be able to to change channels as, uh, you know, your needs demand. Yeah. And 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 hopefully you like, you know, you like more than one flavor at the Baskin Robbins. Anything else you want to say about Charles, which by the way, it's so cool. He had a story about Stephen King and um, it's really neat. Cause I, we, we talked about, uh, I brought up a trunk novel and he, he brought I, I think you've listened to it, David, but for those that didn't, he um, talked about revival that uh-huh. he s- said he wanted to posthumously, he was considered posthumously uh, having it published, but obviously it wasn't. Um, I think it's really neat how, he's an indie press that can make it to get like guys like you and, and King um, or Lawrence block, or even, you know, uh, Carol Oates's book from, oh, I think it's, I think it's like 40 years old. I think that's what it said on the cover. Um, but then you got like Robert block and Bradbury got uh, a collection. I believe it is on there. Those are two other guys that I would like to read more of. Um, to answer your question way back then. But yeah, is there anything else? Oh, that Charles, you Charles, Charles got Brian De Palma for God's sake. Uh, uh, he got, he, he, Charles has found more lost Donald Westlake novels than anybody that I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> the three, Oh man, it's, it's three numbers, three, 
something. Um, Donald Westlake book uh, that he published. I oh, God, you could stump me. What is that? 316? I forget. Uh, Donald Westlake. Well, you'll find out later. 361. Somebody, 361. I got the I got I transposed. I really liked Yeah, I really liked that one. That's one that I read in preparation to talk with. Also, you. Charles dug up uh, 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 my first novel, uh, which Tor Books did, was called The Kill Riff. And the guy who drew the guitar on the cover of that novel is the same guy that did the cover of Gunwork. Hmm. Like, hmm. Yeah, again, decades later. That's really cool. That was, that was uh, Joe DeVito. Wow. Um, no, I love hard case crime. In fact, I've got a hard case crime book that is just dragging its ass and refusing to be finished. I don't know what the problem is. It's like, you know, you, you let something sit long enough and you're going to go, maybe I should just start over. You just need a deadline to pass. You'll be fine. Yeah. You need, you know, you need, a, you need a beta reader to read it named Patrick to be like, this is your issue. It's not really that, but I just want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's a thing. When I thought when I thought I was going to get a deal with Mulholland Books, Ooh. when when they first started, mm -hmm. um, they asked me to come up with a, a, a internet content, and I said, "Why don't we do a thing that's like an internet uh, serial, where you could have a uh, like like a four thousand word short story as a chapter, and you get one a month." And then eventually they accumulate to a novel. And I began recording these chapters. And then it occurred to me that it was that was very much like the way Don Westlake would do it. Hmm. And I said, Well, how many book, how many Parker novels does Don Westlake have? And he's 24. I said, So how about if we do a book with 24 chapters? And each one is like a 4,000 word story that can hmm. kind of more or less stand on its own, but they do sort of unify into a a narrative and the problem that i ran into was it's about a it's about a professional heist guy and the problem i ran into was i ran out of heists i ran out of crimes <laughs> that this guy could commit and uh said you know how about rare postage stamps no that's kind of lame you know so it's 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 percolating it's 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 out there does it have to be one point of view Oh, it's, it was not. It's it's. Uh, I thought about that. I thought about that in terms of changing the channel on it. It says, "What if you did one of these stories completely from outside the POV that you have done all the previous ones from, and that illustrates how upset this character's mental state is?" You know. Oh, believe me, I've been to every excuse imaginable at this point. So, <laughs> I'm hoping it'll. I'm hoping it'll chug along. Man, I got nothing, but all I wanted to say is to anyone that hasn't read a hard case crime book yet, and I mean, obviously, David's books, but um, I would consider Five Decembers. That book blew me away. That's probably my favorite from 2022. What's the one of uh, the writer's name is Ariel? Uh, oh. I'm going to look, look it up, up real quick. It, it's, it's the one that's three novels in one. Okay, so I got... Uh, Ariel Winter. Uh, Ariel Winter. Ariel S. Winter. Yeah. Uh, the 20-Year Death. 
Yeah, read that one. Wow. A long time to die. Um, <laughs> is that is that a newer one? No, it's a couple of years old. Okay. I like Daniel Cross's, uh, Krause's one, too. Um, uh, Blood, Blood Sugar, right? Blood Sugar, yeah. It reminded me a lot of uh, a fucked up book that I like called uh, Clockwork. And, 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 and the, uh, the De Palma one is surprisingly entertaining. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. I actually didn't know that there was a De Palma one. He co he co-wrote it with uh, someone else, but uh, here we go. It's got its it's got its own voice as a book. It's it's not just a repurposed movie or something. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's called. Uh, uh, I can't see that image. It is called Acclaim. Uh, nope. Someone else make noise while I look at the title. Uh, Are snakes necessary? Yes, uh, Brian De Palma and Susan Lee Lee yeah. Leman. Um, Aaron Dries actually had a question too, but I don't know if it's a joke and you answered it on Twitter. Should I ask that one before I pass the mic off to? Well, I can always yeah. tease Aaron. <laughs> Two questions for David: Is it true one of your stories was banned in Canada? Also, what's your favorite episode of Boris Karloff's Thriller? All right, yeah, I, I kind of answered that on Twitter for him already, but uh, it was it was I've been banned all over the place. Uh, 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 I, I got banned from a German splatterpunk anthology because the story was too extreme. Um, for Germans, that's it, pretty crazy, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah the Danish had no problem with the same story. Um, um, it was banned on the grounds of perceived sodomy. <laughs> That's not a quote there. It was suggested. You know, anyway, you don't want to go there. Perceived. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I'm we can sure talk about I, butt stuff here if you want. <laughs> I was banned. I was banned by Revenue Canada once for something, but I don't remember what the story was for. And uh, uh, because that is the sort of wonderful information you can find if you read the afterwards of these new editions of the books that we're doing, because I put it in the afterwards so I wouldn't have to remember it anymore. <laughs> And as for Thriller, I did I did 11 audio commentaries on the uh, Boris Karloff's Thriller DVD set. And so anything I did an audio commentary on is, is my favorite uh, for obvious reasons. I sort of became Robert Block's avatar on that set because I would do the shows that Bob wrote. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. my single, one of my single favorite... One of my single favorite episodes is uh, the one with Boris Karloff in it, the incredible Dr. Markison, because it's just so grim. And it's grimmer than it's grimmer than pigeons from hell, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, but that's another good one. And the Grim Reaper one is good. And but the incredible if I had to pick one, the incredible Dr. Markison is a good one. What was what was Bob like? Because I've heard I've only heard good. That would about require the guy. a whole other show to do so now we have to have you back for robert block we have well to have you back I've, for I've, gone, I've gone on it i've gone on it at bob at length one of the things that i did when i refreshed uh uh my collection uh crypt orchids for the cimarron street edition that we put out was i wrote an expanded afterward that is a lot about bob hmm. basically because that book basically wouldn't exist without him his influence is all over it and uh, so I explain why. So if you see, might give Crypt Orchids a try. 
Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. killer. Uh, Candace, Mike passing to you. Mike passing to me. I am. I am all questioned out. Oh, we, we ran her dry. <laughs> I mean, I can always come up with more, but we we actually have answered them all. There were two I didn't ask, but you had already answered them in the conversation. We danced around them elsewhere. Yes, we did. It was a nice dance. I enjoyed it. I I uh, accepted an award for Bob once uh, for Bob Block. Hmm. Um, we both won the rarest award in the field, which would be the Twilight Zone Magazine Dimension Award. Okay. Given only once in uh, in New York City at a huge ceremony in the Time Life Building. And uh, given only once because the publicist working for Montcom Publications, which published gallery and twilight zone twilight zone coasted along on gallery gallery was a men's magazine uh it was like the relationship that penthouse had to omni you know so it sort of sort of towed it and uh the guy who came up with the award ceremony went over budget and got fired uh the day after the award ceremony oh god but we got these lovely uh glass trophies um um in new york city and bob and i actually tied for the short story award. And so I got only, I, I got only not only to go to, uh, uh, to New York to get the, to get the trophy, but uh, I got to pick Bob's up as well and read a speech that he had prepared and stuff. I knew Bob very well. I mean, you know, we had, we went to a lot of conventions. We went to, had a lot of dinners and was at his house a lot of times. It was just, you know, it was a different, uh, uh, different era for a lot mm -hmm. of people people but you know if you're intrigued and you have questions we'll get into that later <laughs> in, our, in our robert back, block special come back to the well yeah <laughs> yeah i'm well, actually there, there are there's a there's a there's a british magazine called phantasmagoria yeah and uh trevor kennedy runs it trevor kennedy does it and uh he uh he did like a huge ramsey campbell yeah, he, had a, he on his cover. Yeah, I saw that. He did a huge Carl Wagner cover. And the new one, right, is all about the British magazine Fantasy Tales. Hmm. And this is the Phantas Phantasmagoria special number seven. And and they and because I am so ancient that I am in fantasy tales, they reprinted a story in here this thing this thing is like it's oh god it's it's three it's 340 pages 360 pages long holy yeah. shit how much is it to buy it i don't know it's on amazon <laughs> look me up go to my twitter page i've got a link to it on on the, on the twitter page okay i've got a link to it on the twitter page because my ass was kicked off facebook uh in, in, in <laughs> wait why I was banned for life. Uh, from I was Facebook. wondering why I couldn't find you. I only see the fan page. No. And that that's just a backup page that I threw up there. I have an Outer Limits page and I have another page. But uh, uh, they kicked me off for a threefold sin. Um, it's like, man, if you do something wrong, you know, you, you sort of have an appeal. But if you do three things, you do three of the right things wrong in a row, you know, you're never coming back. <laughs> 
and and uh, uh, the the first horrible thing that I did was I posted a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer, and it was a meme of Jeffrey Dahmer that says, "I was craving Five Guys before it was a restaurant." <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. It's funny. Right. So, <laughs> and they warning, warning, you know, Facebook warning. Eh. And so, okay, okay. Except it was one of those days, and I don't know if you if you guys have ever had this day on social media. Yes, I have. <laughs> but there's a day where you're so fed up with everything that you just put the same meme as your answer for everything. <laughs> you know, there I've had it. I've had it. Well, that was my Dahmer day, and, and I and I blanketed you know Facebook. Oh God! And they said you're doing this too much. You're banned. Okay, you're reinstated. You're banned. The second one was a horoscope, uh, an astrological chart. That was a joke chart that had all the astrological signs on it. But it says, you know, it would say, like, if, if you're an Aries, nobody wants to hang around you and you smell terrible <laughs> and your eating habits are net your teeth are nasty. And, you know, and, and, and what and the thing on the bottom of Sagittarius was just kill yourself. Oh, my God. Right? <laughs> Advocating self-harm. You know, it's like so you can't. OK, we tried to warn you. But the thing that broke the camel's back on Facebook was the Lego cartoon. <laughs> You'll have to elaborate. Yeah. There's a Lego cartoon of a gallows where they're hanging a Lego guy. And he's got a rope around his neck and it's got the Lego floor and the Lego hangman, you know, whatever. and they drop the trap and he doesn't hang because his Lego feet stick to the floor. <laughs> right. And it says, Facebook comes back and they, and, and they said, that's it, banned. You're out of here. You're out of here. I said, that, that sounds but he objectively hilarious. I said, but he didn't die. But it's not a real guy. It's a Lego guy. Yeah, that was, that was weird. So you can't kind of, you can't make these kind of arguments with, you know, the, 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 the megalith that is, that is Facebook. Fucking Zuckerberg. So, so I was, uh, I was jettisoned and I had previously been banned from Twitter. For the same kind of misbehavior, right? <laughs> and I was off Twitter for a year. And uh, on... Now, I don't want to suspect a conspiracy or anything is connected in this case, but the day my ass was kicked off Facebook, my Twitter account was reinstated. That's weird. <laughs> That's weird. Coincidence? What a coincidence. <laughs> You I don't know. You be the judge. That's weird. So yeah, because I would put, uh, you know, I send these, I send things around every day uh, to a private group of people. That it, it's like it was my my super secret mailing list, which is now about 150 people uh, uh, of the sort of things that I would have posted on social media if social media wasn't so sphinctered shut. Um, so. Uh, uh, and occasionally it'll, it'll it'll creep through on 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 Twitter because Twitter has less problem with you know just general bad taste. Although it is general bad taste. Also, also uh, uh, regard Musk. Regardless, Twitter's not going anywhere. So Ooh. it's 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 uh, you know everybody was like running away to you know all these other social <laughs> platforms and everything. And I can't wait for the thing that replaces. Yeah, wasn't Twitter the thing that was supposed to replace Facebook? Well, it didn't actually. Uh, now you can't. Now Instagram is just for your parents, you know. So it's 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 you know. 
we can't hope to stay ahead of this wave unless you have 50 social media accounts and you got to get other stuff done. You know, you got writing to do, you got kids to raise, (laughs) you know, I mean, it it sort of eats into the day. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think it's just mostly people saying shit, just like, you know, if I'm going to say any president, but the last one that was orange, uh, a lot of people were saying, I'm going to leave the country if he's voted. And they didn't. It's yeah, just... they're going to move to Belgium. And it's like, no, 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 no. This... Okay, the first thing you don't understand is that politicians are always vile. They you are. Know? They're all criminals. They're all thugs. They all have their hands in your pocket. What did you expect? Welcome mm. to the new East Germany West. You know, and it's like, <laughs> so it's like, don't let that stuff slow you down. You There's know. nothing you can do about it. I agree. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and just Facebook in particular, not not because of anything that I had to do with it, but at the same time, it just seemed to devolve uh, a little bit into. There's nothing wrong with cat pictures, you know. There's nothing wrong with food pictures, but you'll notice on there now there are all of these weird kind of up with people affirmation kind of posts. We're all great. Yay. You know, and it's like, who the hell is this? You know, (laughs) this is is not my tribe. (laughs) So my tribe is more probably with, with, with you folks. We should have our own, our our own social media site where we set the rules. I would like that. Um, I would ask what you're currently reading. You've already covered that. And where can people follow you? (laughs) What's the next follow up? Twitter. Uh, uh, Twitter and and go to Cimarron. Go to the Cimarron Street website because um, that's where all of our new releases are coming out. And I hate to say it, but go to Brian Keene's new message board. Kingdom. (laughs) That's where the tribe meets. I have a page on the kingdom. How long is that going to last for? Uh, as long as it lasts, I'll be happy to answer anybody's question or tell them where they can find stuff. Because one thing I'll tell you, one thing that I did a year ago, uh, as we sit here a year ago, I was selling books like crazy on Facebook. That's where I got my copies from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. We, we made a system where I said, listen, I have piles of these books. I'll sell them for 10 bucks each. You know, you just DM me. And that's the only thing that I miss. But then they adjusted the algorithm so that, you know, your posts about your books or your books, anybody that wanted to get something, they don't reach the people that they need to reach mm. anymore. I never sold a single book via Twitter. I'll tell you. That's crazy. I and then we all that. have those friends that are only on one and not on the other, you know, like it makes a difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't. David, I need you to explain it to me. I don't understand. David, do you have any final thoughts or any final sounds or anything? If I have a final thought, it means I'm dead after I express that thought. You have. Hmm, no one answers like this, so I don't know how to go back to that. Are you looking for a wrap, Patrick? Are you looking for a wrap up? Hey, well. This is the wrap-up questionnaire. Yeah, this is this is the wrap-up question. <laughs> uh, that's all. That's all I had, man. Final thoughts. I don't did know what we, I asked. Did we remotely achieve anything that you wanted on this? Yeah, you came on and you talked and you were funny and <laughs> Candace was mean to me and Candace, you have any final thoughts? <laughs> hey, I got to meet Candace. I was I'm not like, mean. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm only kidding. It, it's a thing that Brennan and I do, and he he tries to get people to team up on me, and sometimes it blows up in his face. I do not have to try that hard. Well, <laughs> episode, I'll be mean to him. Yes. <laughs> he never got to meet me, and it was awesome. Yeah. And he wants me to send him a picture, which is awesome. Yeah. On that note, and since I'm speaking and no one can stop me right now, unless he just cut off my mic, um, do you want a copy of the anthology that won the award, sir? Absolutely, I, I do, because I don't have one. I would, I would love, I would love one. If you would write in it, that would even be better. That's awesome. Would you like my grocery list in it, or like personalize it to you, or just you know do a little? Part? If, if you, if you, if you could see your way clear to inscribe it, that would be terrific. I will absolutely. Thank you so much, Candace. Thank You're- you. <laughs> I will let these guys know, or you let me know how to find you, or let me know how to get you an address and all. Um, we're on Twitter now, so feel free to pop in my um, messages there. And um, what's your what? What are you called on Twitter? What am I called under there? I think it's Candace Nola, actually, just my name. So it's just your name, okay? I think so. I got it. And I'm following you now too. So yeah, it is at Candace underscore Nola. So okay. And I'll get you one out. That's awesome. Yeah. What are you guys going to send me? Yeah. yeah oh, I, no. I wish I had a book. Fresh man. pressure. <laughs> Any other, man. Care packages for David. Like, what are you doing? I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. I'm in the desert. He has no books. Look. Yeah, I have no books. <laughs> those books, those books don't count. Yeah. Brendan, your turn. I don't have those, books. Those to books send don't count yet. because those are those are all either either books that I wrote or books that I'm in. When we did the uh, uh, Centipede Press version of the Shaft, uh, I took uh, quotes from uh, the rejection letters we got for it, and we put them in the front of the book as blurbs. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is one way to go. <laughs> that book right there. All right. There it is. Yeah. The, book, the book with the, the British cover art featuring what came to be known as the dick eating turd worm. Oh, wow. Right. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a name. <laughs> yeah. Is it officially called Use that? it. I don't, I don't have a trademark. Use it freely. <laughs> um, it's raw, it's rough, and it's not for wimps. A damn fine book, Afraid Magazine. That was Mike Baker's quote. The late Mike Baker, uh, who left us far too soon. That's who used to do a who used to do a magazine called Afraid. This is interesting. It says Scott was the chap who first coined the term splatterpunk in his second novel is every bit as splattery and punkish as his first. I think this is the first edition. That's the first paperback, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't have any books because I don't have anything published right now that's not a don't, short story. Don't rack your brains just when it occurs to you, you know. That'd be awesome. Um <laughs> my final Green Patrick. Yeah, and David's gonna be in it. I can't announce it on here yet. But so oh, yeah, <laughs> he's not announced publicly, but fuck it. He's whoever listens will hear. He is now. <laughs> what have I done now? 
Well, we don't have to go into details, but your story is both funny and very interesting because I've never read anything about dinosaur ghosts before. That's all I'm going to say about it. So if oh, you want, okay. I know, the, <laughs> I know the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brennan, do you have any final thoughts? Because I'm not going to say anymore. I'm not going to get my ass in trouble. <laughs> uh, obviously, David, you know, we want to thank you for your time. We appreciate you spending a Thursday night with us and just, you know, uh, sharing some you know your wealth of experience but actually i want to cede my final thoughts back to candace because candace you were so close to pimping the anthology that you just had come out so i mean you kind of need to do that yeah do yeah do oh, um well the follow-up to the spider punk award-winning anthology <laughs> this year i may just happen to have it beside me i don't know for what reason it might be within reach <laughs> This is all right. This is last year's The Baker's Dozen. David, I don't know if you got to see it, but it's printed in a on black. As it should be. Yeah. <laughs> so this is last year's. And I did a live last night to show everybody the new one, which arrived yesterday. Wow. And right there at hand. Is here. And each story has beautiful artwork that comes with each one. And the stories are in there for the paperback and the limited edition hardcover is the match to last year's. Wow. Trapped. It is a theme. And it's also printed the same way on the black. Good looking book. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's got the artwork for sorry if I can get the one. Ooh, here we go. So you have the artwork again for mm -hmm. each one of these. And then at the end of each story in the limited edition, you have the interview, which each author from my website that I run every fall, I have an interview called The Dark Dozen. Every author who was in the dark dozen interview is in the book and this one just released uh two weeks ago the limited edition came in yesterday and those will begin to be available on my website as of friday so i love the idea of putting interviews and stuff in because we've got to mix these contents up yeah. so that people feel a connection with the people writing the stories keeps it interesting and i think yeah. if you want to read an anthology if you really like one of the stories in there i feel like you would want to know a little bit about who wrote it anyway and that's yeah. going to give you more of a reason to go seek out more of their work so this gives you a lot more about okay but who is this person that wrote it where do i find them and all that information is in there yeah you don't want it to feel like a canned thing mm -hmm. yep Really so yeah, cool. there's there's my there's my plug for trapped. <laughs> there there you go. That's awesome. My final thoughts. Can't wait. My final thoughts are: don't forget, we are very uh, thankful for anyone that has voted for the show to get us the nomination. But we uh, we are in the running with four other excellent shows. So go to thisishorror.co.uk slash awards and consider nominating us for the nonfiction podcast of the year. Um, my final thoughts are this is a wrap for season three. It's been really fun. 
I can't believe we're going into our third year, the fourth season. Um, I'm really glad that we got to end this with you, David. Season two ended with Skip, so that was kind of cool, too. And season two started with Brian Keene. Uh, did we start with Richard Chismar this year? Chismar, yep. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like uh, we get a few guys from from your uh, tribe of the olden days, if you will. You talk, you talk to Palinuk, man. Ch- Chuck is one of the smart. When he emailed me the first few times, I felt like I felt like I was too stupid to reply. <laughs> I love Chuck. <laughs> he's he's incredibly sweet. That was the first and only episode where, at the very end of the outro, the computer decided to shut off, and Chuck had to go. And he said to Brennan, well, why don't we pick this up tomorrow or the next day? Like, that's the kind of guy he is. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, I, I've said this to other people, but guys like him, you, Joe Lansdale, Peter Straub, you guys all demonstrate how you should act when you make a name for yourself. Um, if you guys act like that, there's no reason there are people like this, but there's no reason people um, that come after you should be dickheads. You can't stop it. They're going to do that no matter what. Why interview a dickhead? If if you take anything away from season three, don't be an asshole. Don't be a dickhead. Yeah. Thank you for sticking around with us. Um, thank David, you for staying. Thank you for staying up late, you parents. Yeah. Yeah. He's my son's going to wake me up in probably three or four hours to go in his bed with him. So I'm used to it at this point. Um He's three, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. He's not like a teenager. That'd be probably weird. <laughs> well, if it's like, just fucking stop. Uh, yeah, so I don't know where I was going with that. Brian, any, you want to just finish this off, buddy? He has to, he has to take a nap at this point. <laughs> you have a lot of choices in podcasts. Thank you for choosing us. Hey, everybody. I just want to give final thought. I want to thank all of you. Yes, you for listening or watching the show. We just finished the third season. Uh, I can't ask for better reception. Um, it's been a blast so far. I get to do this with one of my best friends. We love what we do. And um, all we ask for anyone that likes the show is to spread the word, leave some reviews on whatever platform you're listening this on or or watching um subscribe at youtube which helps us to further spotlight and promote each creator each author filmmaker what have you what i can tell you about what is going to happen next season season four which starts uh mid-january 2023 we're going to actually announce a third official member. We've never had this before. We've had surprise guest hosts, you know, announced guest hosts, but we've never actually had a another member. It's just always been Brennan and I. We're really excited about that. We got some things in the works for guests throughout season four. We've been in talks with a few of them for months. Um it's it's really exciting time for our longtime listeners. We thank you so much for sticking with us, and for those that have just tuned into the show, 
We hope you stick around for a little bit because I promise you there is a lot of exciting things that has happened and a lot that will happen. And we're always trying to make the show better, even if it's the smallest detail, with the audio version, with the video version, with the website, um, which if you haven't been to the website yet, go to deadheadspace.com. We have reviews posted. We also have a shop if you're interested in that. Could get a t-shirt, a mug. Um, yeah, feel free to post uh, pictures. If you buy any of our products, we would love to see a picture uh, with it. I don't have Brendan here to see me right now, so I'm just going to end it and say that I cannot wait for season four to start up. And as always, you have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us.